please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. We're so excited that you're listening along with us on the Voice America Business Network. Uh, and I appreciate all the uh, outpouring on Twitter and the people that were hitting me up. Uh, we do apologize for the replays. But as we talk about in the Work-Life Balance, I got a chance to balance a little bit of the life and uh, do a little daddy camp last week, uh, which is an annual tradition in my family where... Uh, I get to send my wife and her girlfriends away on vacation, and I keep the kids, and, and we do a bunch of dumb stuff all week. So hit arcades and, and do water parks, and uh, we did a locked-in room uh, where we had to escape a room, and I uh, was really impressed with the logic uh, that, that my daughter possesses as she solved most of the puzzles that I couldn't, uh, but had a fantastic time, had a chance to uh, take a break. Uh, do a little breathing on my own and uh, really just kind of re-energize. So we're back at it. Uh, been through uh, South Carolina, Washington, D.C., finishing up in Richmond, Virginia this week and ready to get back home to uh, balance out that work-life balance. Uh, today on the show, we've got a fantastic show really uh, uh, planned for you. I was in, uh, uh, in New York uh, and got a chance to see this gentleman speak and, and really participate in one of his sessions. It was a tremendous amount of fun. Uh, he picked on me a lot, which, you know, is always the, the great sign of a great speaker is, is how much they pick on me and, and, and poke at me, um, but uh, has a, a phenomenal uh, stance in, in really talking about uh, personality poker is something that he's innovated. Um, and uh, it, as a matter of fact, you know, he's got a tremendous bio, but I always love to let my guests speak for themselves. So let's welcome to the, to the show, Stephen Shapiro. Stephen, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Rick. Thanks for having me here today. And I just watched the uh, video again. Of course, you, you know, I'm, I'm jealous whenever, uh, you know, there's fantastic speaker lead-in videos, and I wish we could show that, uh, but you don't get the full impact on radio. But, uh, you know, you, you were on a, a reality show and, and now known as the guru at the same time. So I just watched that again as well. Exactly. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. What, yeah, clue the listeners in a little bit of what we're talking about there. Well, so I developed this thing called Personality Poker, which is a card game which helps people understand. Uh, I mean, it's designed specifically to help people with innovation, uh, figure out how you contribute best to innovation. But people have used it to understand their family, their, their, their kids. Uh, and it's just a fun game. And so I was approached by NBC to uh, be on a show, which is on uh, the USA Network, which is owned by NBC. And it was a show called Partners in Crime, which is about these two criminal attorneys, and basically their office was a bit dysfunctional in terms of the relationship between the lawyers and the women who ran the place. And so they asked me to come on, play some personality poker, have some fun, and hopefully uh, you know, get, get people communicating in a way that they've not been able to before. So it, it's just a lot of fun. I enjoy it a lot. Yeah, it seemed like you had a lot of fun, and, and there was a great insight right at the end. And, and 
guys can see this uh, uh, clip on personalitypoker.com. Um, it, they, they seem like a great group of, of people, but uh, can be challenging at times as well as, as all of our clients can be. But um, what I loved is, is what you said at the end there, too, is, is if we aren't the way that we are, then we couldn't do what we do. So while it's fantastic for all of us to start to understand who we are and how we work, um, all of us need those different types of personalities. It's not all about change and coming together, but about embracing kind of who we are at the same time um, to really capture some of these innovation cycles. Yeah, and, and it's also recognizing that the most successful people understand that each of us have a different contribution to the world, contribution to business, contribution to life, and that if we do what we're naturally wired to do, which is to basically hang out with people who are similar to us or this tribal mentality, that's easy because people who are similar to us we get along with, but the reality is this is the thing which kills innovation, it kills success, because when everybody thinks the same way, you don't have any level of uh, diversity and you don't have any level of innovation that actually takes place. So that's against that whole theory of opposites attract then. Right? Everybody's yeah. opposites attract, so we have this whole team of opposites. The, the reality is it's not true. I mean, there, there's a lot of scientific evidence that proves that opposites actually repel. I mean, if, if you don't believe me, just turn on the television, at least here in the United States, and watch what's going on with the presidential elections. I've spent a fair amount of time in Washington, D.C., and Capitol Hill. There's a perfect place where you can see that opposites do not attract. You don't have uh, opposite parties uh, embracing each other, and that's a good microcosm of how the world actually works. We want people who are with our same beliefs, our same ideologies, our same personalities, and therefore we actually tend to, especially in the business place, surround ourselves with people who are similar to us rather than people who are uh, different than we are. But while we have that tendency to surround ourselves with people that were like us, it's necessary in order to grow, in order to be the best that we can be, to have people that are different than us and who think differently than we do. Yeah, I mean, certainly to grow. If you want to live a very simple life that's easy, then being around people who are similar to it is great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but if you do want to grow, and especially if you have a business that you want to grow, then we need people with different perspectives. And when it comes to personalities, the way we developed personality poker was to recognize that different people contribute to innovation in different ways. The different styles uh, participate in different aspects of the innovation process. So if you have people who are all the same, then you will be missing certain aspects of the innovation process. So, uh, you know, aside from this, and, and this is always one of those big theories out there, so do you truly believe in personality conflict then and, and people just having outright, you know, personality conflict for that matter? Well, people, people don't get along in some cases. There's a variety of reasons why people have conflict. I mean, personality is certainly not the, the only one, but I do believe that, you know, so for example, I am by nature, for whatever reason, a somewhat disorganized, scatterbrained, uh, I'd even say messy person. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not dirty, but I'm, I'm messy. And uh, so things aren't as neat. Now, my natural tendency would not to be hanging out with somebody who is uh, 
you know, a perfectionist who likes details because that's the opposite of me and those types of things could drive me crazy. Now, I've learned over time, though, that those qualities are actually necessary. I need people who are going to compliment me, and I say compliment with an E, not an I. I need people who are going to balance out my hand because if I only hang around with people who are like me, I just get more of me. I don't need more of me. I need a little bit different uh, aspects of my life. So I do believe that there's conflict, uh, and I don't think the conflict is bad, and the conflict tends to come from a lack of appreciation. So one of the things that we know is that if we put a group of people together who have different perspectives, and you just leave them at it, leave them to their own devices, there will be conflict and it will be unproductive conflict. But when people take the time to actually have a deep appreciation for what each person brings to the table, then that conflict actually becomes a source of creativity and a source of innovation and a source of growth. So it's controlled conflict for that matter. It's, it's, it's knowing where that conflict or, or being able to cultivate the conflict in a positive way. Absolutely. So for me, someone who is uh, sort of this anal retentive planner who wants to know what we're going to do each and every minute drives me crazy because I'm sort of the opposite. I'm, I'm sort of this freewheeling, creative, let's just see where life takes this kind of guy. So I do find them restrictive and limiting, but what I found was that if I don't surround myself with people like that, I get nothing done because this the seat of the pants philosophy is a nice one, but in the workplace in particular, it's not a very productive one if all I'm doing is hanging around with people like, a, like uh, who have my personality style. So I think if you and I ran a company together, nothing would get done. That's, that's what I'm garnering from my conversation. Hanging I think out I'm exactly with you, the same as you. <laughs> yeah, hanging out with you, what I've, what I've discovered is uh, we would have a lot of fun. Uh, we would probably come up with some really, really cool ideas and we'd get nothing done. So, yes, yeah, I, I, I agree. <laughs> we, we would be creating companies that other people could run, but meanwhile, <laughs> no, that's for sure. That's for sure. And, and it, as a matter of fact, it, but that's the truth, and, and I've had to do that within my business, right? So I have a very, you know, and it's funny that I chose project management as an industry being more of that salesy, high eye, you know, high type of personality uh, in that influencer uh, kind of speaker role. But, you know, I'm not somebody who likes to dig deep into the details either, but more be able to set the path. So I've had this around myself as well because I have not been able to um, run my business effectively unless I have that very, uh, you know, detailed person to help me run and get things done that I need to get done. Exactly. So I think it's important for people, yeah, it's important for people to recognize strengths and weaknesses, but to find the people that are going to enjoy that piece. Um, one of my favorite stories is I had a, a guy who loved to fill out forms, and I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. But if you had a form, he'd fill it out. He loved to fill out forms, and forms drive me crazy. They just absolutely drive me nuts. But anyway. Um, with that, we're going to take our first break, Stephen. When we come back, I'd like to talk about all the different types of innovation styles that you've identified and really kind of how they link into the innovation process. So if everybody hangs out, you'll get to hear Stephen talk about that. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris.
Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other. Where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage. Where applications aren't just part of your brand. They are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back on this Friday afternoon. We're talking to Stephen Shapiro, who is the creator of an innovation game called Personality Poker. And, and I've actually had a chance to play this and experience this um, in, in kind of a microchasm uh, format. But I can tell you that, one, it was extremely fun. Two, it was extremely enlightening. Um, and three, it really starts to generate a conversation. So I really wanted to make sure that we had plenty of time, Stephen, to, to, to jump into this and, and make sure people understand what it is but how much value they can gain from it. I mean, when people start thinking about, I've seen so many silly games that consultants and and authors and speakers bring into environments. This one was so impactful and so quick to understand. Uh, I just, I had to have you on the show. So let's, let's talk about what are those four, you know, kind of innovation styles and and how did this whole game come to be? Sure. I mean, to, to step back, this never started off as a personality test. I mean, it really started off as a tool to understand who do we need in the right role. And the innovation process has four steps. And what I basically ended up doing was mapping the four steps to the four 
attributes of the people who are most successful in those four steps. So there's, there's four steps, there's four suits, there's four styles, and we'll just sort of go around the four uh, suits uh, in order in terms of the step, and the first one are the spades. The spades are the ones who are really good at asking questions uh, because they have facts, they have data. So I always say that the spades are the ones who uh, know a lot. And uh, because they're knowledgeable, they like to be acknowledged for their, their, uh, their wisdom, and they make decisions based on facts and data. So they probably love Excel spreadsheets or something like that. But those are the spades, and they're useful in the very first step of the innovation process, which is to define the right challenge. What's the most important problem we need to be working on? The second step, which ties to the diamonds, uh, is about generating solutions. If we know what problems we're working on, the next step is to then identify solutions that are going to deliver ideally breakthroughs, uh, breakthrough ways in terms of those solutions. And so the diamonds are the ones who we think of as being creative. Uh, the diamonds tend to be more into novelty. I always say a diamond doesn't care where they're going as long as they're having a good time getting there. So it's more about the, 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 the connection. It's about the creativity. It's about um, being different and being novel. The next step are going to be the clubs. Once we have the solution, the next thing is to implement the solution, and the clubs are all about planning the work and working the plan. So these are the ones who are very good at getting things done. And then finally, the last step, which is really sort of underpinning all of innovation, is where the hearts come into play, which is about engaging the hearts and minds of people. You need them at the beginning of the process and throughout the process to get people engaged. And as you would imagine, hearts are people who like people. And I always joke that people who like people and Barbara Streisand songs. Uh, but there are people who are really into connections with people at multiple levels. So those are the four suits, the four steps, and the four styles. And that was amazing. And I, and I, I found out it was more of a diamond, right, as we went through that. So as you're starting to engage in this game, how do you find out or how do I associate which kind of suit am I? Well, I guess that's probably a pretty good question to ask. Uh, we didn't really talk about the mechanics of the game. So basically, imagine a deck of poker cards with suits, colors, and numbers on them. Uh, but in addition to that, there are words. There are words like analytical, creative, organized, methodical, empathetic, uh, popular. So we have 52 cards, 52 words. And there's a couple of different ways you can play it. So the way that, that you uh, first experienced it was the way I play with larger groups. And what we'll do is we'll shuffle a bunch of cards. We will deal out five random cards to everybody in the audience. And then we will have people go through two rounds of trading. And the goal of the game is to get five cards where the words best describe how you see yourself. So while you're trading, you only look at the words. And you find five words that really seem to resonate with you, describe how you see yourself. What's a lot of fun is during the second round of trading, where basically we play a version of 52-card pickup, where we throw cards all over the floor face up, uh, we ask people while they're looking at the cards, to identify cards that describe other people they know, somebody else in the room. So if you're doing this with your team, what you do is pick up cards and give it to other people. So you normally get to choose cards for yourself, but you get to see how other people see you. And this provides some fascinating insights also. So once everybody gets five cards that they self-selected and then however many gift cards they get, we go into the interpretation process. And the, the, basically, there's, there's multiple steps to it, but what you're looking to do is find out what's your predominant suit 
based on the cards you selected, and that gives you at least a rough understanding of what your uh, primary style is, what your primary suit is, and then we go from there. And that was and that was fascinating, right? We ended up standing up in the other side of the room. You had all the black suit and all the red suit and kind of the people that were intermingled. And I was kind of had a mixture of cards, but I was still predominantly black, right? And that resonated with me. And, and I do a lot of, of uh, personality tests and profiles and, and a lot of studies in that, as I should, being a project manager. And so it kind of resonated with the DISC profile for me, right? So the high D, high I, high S, high C. Um, and so to me, diamonds and the high eye kind of kind of mixed together uh, for that portion. Um, but it was interesting to see the the people picking these different types of words, and then those numbers um, in in kind of this. The you also had some thought put into whether it was an ace or a king, or a two or a three or a four. Right. Yeah. So the suits, the colors, and the numbers—they all have meaning. Uh, the, the numbers, so the two, three, fours basically represent what I call your strong suit on steroids. So if you are uh, a predominantly club, uh, so you are someone who is organized or methodical, that on steroids would be the three of clubs, which is the anal retentive card. And I always sort of joke that, look, you know, people, when, we're our, when we get to be our two, three, four card, we're not necessarily always the most enjoyable person to be around. Being around somebody who is a, uh, a know-it-all, being somebody who is a total scatterbrain and forgets to do things, we don't look at those as the productive sides, but I, I do believe that those two, three, four cards actually represent something positive because it is really who we are uh, at a very deep level, and in many cases, I always say the difference between a Timex and a Rolex is going to be that three of clubs, that anal retentive card. So we need it and we need to appreciate it, and we need to embrace it in ourselves. The five through nines are different suit by suit. You could loosely think of them as related to introversion, but it's not really a a, a strong correlation. But it's people who tend to like uh, a little less ambiguity and a little less stimulus. So, for example, with the clubs, the five through nine of clubs are the people who like plans, they like to know the process that we need to use to get the work done, whereas the 10 through ace of clubs are still interested in getting the work done. They're less concerned about how it gets done. So the five through nines are really about the process, whereas the 10 through aces are about the result. And the same thing is true with the other suits. I mean, hearts, five through nines, these are the great listeners. These are the ones who are very empathetic. They're very, they have deep, deep connections with people, yet they tend to have very few connections Whereas the 10 through aces, these are the people who are the social butterflies. I always say they know a lot of people, they just don't know them particularly well because they're the master networker. Uh, and so they're about collecting people. They're good talkers. And so the five through nines are a little different than the 10 through aces and, again, the two, three, fours of those special cards. And so the different insights that you get by selecting these different types of cards is, is again, basically are you, are you on that – deep end of that scale or are you on the high end of that scale or are you just kind of in the middle? But that's, that's basically the insider interpretation you're trying to grab. Right, because there, there is a difference. So, for example, when it comes to diamonds, the five through nine of diamonds are what we would think of as being creative. They're into new ideas. So they're closely related to the spades in that the spade-diamond combination is the thinker because spades like data and uh, five through nine of diamonds, like creativity. So if you think about that, they're really good strategists. 
They like to be rooted in the facts and data of the spade, yet they like to vision, they like to envision what the future could be like, which is an aspect of the diamonds. So we look at multiple combinations of these uh, and how they play out and the roles that people tend to play inside of organizations. And so if I look at myself, though, I'm a 10 through ace of diamonds, which is the uh, I'm less about thinking creatively. I'm more about experiencing life creatively. I love a variety of experiences. I love to travel. I love to do different things. I get bored easily. So my exact opposite is going to be most likely, uh, if I'm a 10 through ace of diamonds, my exact opposite would be a 5 through 9 of clubs. And you don't need to worry about the mechanics, but basically that means it's the people I need to hire first on my team are the people who are the most opposite from me, the people who will fill my hand in properly, and those are the five through nine of clubs, and those are the people who are those anal retentive planners because they're going to keep me on track so I don't keep on floating off into the ether. <laughs> and so in, in playing this game, what, yeah, you, you had some great quotes, and, and I, I share with you on break, but when we start to divide, right, you, you have these key divisions, right, the high spade, the high black, or the high red, cards, you've got some pretty large categorizations for them. What, what are some of those? Well, so we didn't talk about the colors yet. So the, the black cards, the spades and the clubs, if you look at your hand, if you look at five cards in your hand, everybody's going to have more black cards and more red cards. Uh, we have some people who have five black cards. We have people who have five red cards and obviously every combination in between. And so I always say that the black cards are the people who put the no in innovation, uh, you know, they're the ones who are going to find the reasons why things aren't going to work. Or they might put the no, K-N-O-W, in innovation because the spades have a lot of information. So they're going to find the reasons why things don't work. So the black cards, though, are incredibly important to innovation because, in fact, if we have a whole bunch of people saying yes all the time, we never know what's an important innovation. And so I actually find the black cards are my best allies in innovation. I need them more than I need more red cards. Because I say the red cards are the ones who put the fun in dysfunctional. Uh, they're a lot of fun to be around. They're very creative. They're going to find new solutions. The problem is if the organization is led by somebody who is a red, the business could end up in the red because red cards like to chase bright, shiny objects. They are very interested in trying new things and making sure people are happy. And I've had personal experiences where my co-leader on a project would be a primarily hearts or red cards, and we get nothing done because we're so focused on novelty and pleasure. And so, oh, look, a squirrel. Yeah, check it out. Exactly, so, uh, exactly. I, I wasn't listening because there are squirrels running by. No, I'm just teasing. Um, but, yeah, but that's exactly me in, in chasing the, the, the brightest, shiniest thing or, or looking at what I think that next innovation is going to be and wanting to be the person to innovate it versus necessarily uh, following what might be the greatest uh, track uh, for the business. And, and that's certainly something that, that my team has to keep me focused on. So we're the idea generators, but, uh, you know, I've got a team of people that, that you know, we do have the squirrel reference. So they'll go, hey, Rick, squirrel, it tells me it's time for me to get back on track. Well, exactly, exactly. I mean, if, if we, and if you and I hung out, we would have a great time and we'd be living on a street corner somewhere. <laughs> but we'll do the hangout portion. We just won't run a business together. I think is, is what we're doing. <laughs> that's true. That sounds like a good idea. The hangout is definite, but the business side, we we might peel back on. 
So we're going to take another break right here. I think it's perfect time. We'll come back and start talking about how possibly companies could have personalities and then start talking about, you know, all of these different things, um, what you might suggest organizations do um, and, and some of the advice that you can give uh, to some of our listeners around uh, the application of all this process. So you listen to Stephen Shapiro. While we're on break, though, you certainly can check out stephenshapiro.com or personalitypoker.com. Uh, check out some of his offerings. Find out how to engage Stephen into your business um, and how he can come out and help you with your innovation cycles through some of these things that we've been talking about. You're listening to Rick Morris and the Work-Life Balance. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back for our third segment of the Work-Life Balance. One quick correction, it is steveshapiro.com, and that's S-H-A-P-I-R-O, steveshapiro.com. You can uh, visit him at the website there or personalitypoker.com. Uh, so please make sure that you do visit Steve and uh, check him out, uh, find out how he can come in and make an impact into your organization. 
Uh, we were talking on the break there uh, a little bit. I, uh, you know, did a whole show around disc profiles and personality profiles in general. We had uh, Tracy Duez on the show as well. We talked about the axiology of the brain. So a lot of people give a lot of credence uh, to personality profiles, but personality poker really isn't a personality profile per se, is it? To me, it's more of a conversation tool. I mean, to me, the goal of personality poker is to stimulate discussions with people, uh, but it's really more of an innovation tool than it is a personality tool. And, look, again, people use it however they use it. I mean, we've had, uh, I've done this in high schools with kids. I've had parents do this with their young children because it's actually very, because the process of just having a word and seeing does it resonate with you or not is a very easy process. But I'd say the, the main thing that we're looking to get here is just conversations flowing. I love the fact that like, if you play with a small team, instead of dealing out the five cards, you just put decks of cards face up on a conference room table, and you choose a few cards that describe how you see yourself. You choose a few cards that describe how you don't see yourself. And then, Rick, at some point, you'd be in the hot seat. And everyone else now has to pick cards that describe you in their mind from their perspective, and they tell stories. Hey, Rick, remember that time we worked together? We were, we were you know, under deadlines, but you were the guy, even when we are forced to be under deadlines, you were the one who made sure that we weren't just getting things done for the sake of getting it done. We were, the, you know, we were always focused on trying to develop uh, at least a new way, maybe a more effective way of creating something. So I love the conversations because the gifting of the cards is part of the process. And so, it's, again, it's, it's a little different. It's designed specifically for innovation. Uh, and to me, it's really about the conversation rather than even the labeling. The labeling is almost, in some respects, secondary to the process. Yeah, and even that, that small clip that you have on your website, it was a beautiful illustration, right? They, they picked Bossy, they picked Know-It-All, and they, but, but it was after the selection of the card that the, the conversation became real, and the understanding started to, to, uh, to get there with each other, right? And they, they, why do you think I'm Bossy? Why do you think I'm a Know-It-All? And, and I, I, again, I found that as a fascinating conversation, but I think it is a great way to have that open and honest in almost you're allowing yourself to be free in saying, you know, I'm not really saying it, the card's saying it too, right? So, I mean, it gave people that ability to express themselves in a new way. I found that as a fascinating way to do it. I think that's a really great point, what you just said. Look, it is fun. People are always laughing. So when you have this, you break down some of the barriers of communication. So when you say somebody is bossy, if you went up to them and say, you're really bossy, you're not going to have a very productive conversation, but in the context of a poker game, essentially, when you do this, people laugh. They have a great time. They don't take it so personally. And to me, that's really the key with all of this, is just to have a good time, share some deep insights. And what's interesting is the clip you saw from the TV show was only two minutes long on television. We actually played for two hours. There were some really rich, deep conversations that were taking place that are maybe not as suitable for television, but when it comes to the changes it makes in people's lives, it can be very substantial. I think that's very fair. Very fair. So having said that, right, we're talking about personalities and, and that portion, and that's at the individual level. So certainly companies have personalities as well. How does, how does that work within that environment? Well, if you think about the four suits that I talked about, they also represent uh, I mean, we use the word personality, or I use the word personality, but it's really culture. A lot of times we use the word culture inside of an organization, and it's, to me, 
at least from the perspective of personality poker, when I look at culture, I look at it through the lens of what is valued by the organization. So instead of saying, well, we have 75 hearts and 25 spades, therefore heart culture, that's not what it means. What you do is you go through the 52 cards and you say, what are the things that we value? What are the things that get recognized? What are the things that get rewarded? What are the things that get promoted? If we looked up performance management systems, what are the areas where we tend to have the greatest focus? Is it on producing results or is it on creating something that's novel? Is it about the people or is it about the facts? And so this is a great tool to start understanding the personality of organizations by looking at what is valued And usually what we find is the personality of an organization leads to organizational blind spots in their ability to innovate. So, for example, most large corporations tend to have a club-dominant personality because it's about the results. Quarterly earnings, we've got to produce, we need to get things done. So what that means is that tends to be at the expense of other suits. The opposite of the club is going to be the diamond, and therefore, That's where creativity happens. So the focus is on current day performance. How do I produce results today, whereas uh, the blind spot is going to be producing results in the future through thinking differently? And each suit represents a different style that an organization has, which means, again, it has a preferred way of innovating. That's fascinating. And and so, again, once we recognize or identify, because – Again, something that, that's near and dear to my heart. So a lot of times I'm engaged as a consultant through project management to, to do organizational change management. So where they want to go is not necessarily what they're valuing today. So how do you identify not only, you know, what you're valuing today but what you want to value and, and starting to adopt the change or the innovation cycles around, you know, we, we say we're this but it's very clear that they're valuing something different than what they say they are. It's a really great question. I don't necessarily believe you want to change your values per se, but you need to understand that your values are going to create these blind spots. And so what we need to do is almost in some respects overcompensate. Uh, There's a great book from ages ago that I love uh, called Orbiting the Giant Hairball. And it was basically... Uh, and using my words, it was about this diamond uh, inside of a very club-dominant world and what it was like, and it was a very difficult time for him. So what we need to do is just recognize that if we have a club-dominant organizational culture and we don't do something to create a home, a place where people who are diamonds feel safe, a place where the hearts feel safe, or the place where the spades feel safe, we will keep on losing those people. So to me, this is a great tool for looking at retention, for looking at recruitment. I'm not saying whip out a deck of cards during an interview process, not by a stretch. (laughs) But I do think it's important to keep this in mind, is that if you always hire people who fit the mold, your organization will grow mold, because you're going to have too much sameness. And this is why if you look at companies that were once massively successful in the past, they tend to fall off a cliff. Uh, because their past success actually led to their future failure. Because I always say that expertise is the enemy of innovation. And we tend to surround ourselves with people who are too similar to us, and this is the thing which sort of feeds that mindset. If, if I'm a retail company like Sears, which in the 60s, 1960s had 1% of the U.S. gross national product, today it's a, a blip 
on the radar in terms of the retail industry. And the reason was they had too many people who thought the same way and they were attached to their old ways of operating. It doesn't mean they needed to change their values. What they needed to do is change their, you know, uh, be able to embrace people who don't fit uh, what they tend to value and have a much broader definition of that. Yeah, and, and that's what and I guess it's the way I said it, too, in changing our values, but I, I run into it all the time where people say, this is our culture, this is the way they are, but it's so clear that they're not valuing or not rewarding the things that they say that they want. And it's interesting because if, if I can't fight through that barrier and get them to recognize that portion, then we're not going to be successful in that overall change management portion. Um, and so sometimes it's very difficult to get organizations to see that um, in order to be successful in the long run. That's, that's a really powerful point. That's a really powerful point. And one of the things which I find fascinating to do is if, you have, if you're going to play personality poker with, a, a, let's say, a large group of employees, what you do is you have everybody choose what they believe is valued by the organization. That is what gets recognized and rewarded. And then you start doing some comparisons. And the answer, the absolute answer, the, you know, sort of the mean or the median of all that is less important than the standard deviation or variance. I want to see, does the top, you know, the top executives of an organization, do they believe creativity is valued when if I were to go talk to the people in the front line, nobody chooses the creativity cards as things which are valued? That gives me some fascinating insights into a disconnect between what the top of the organization thinks and the bottom of the organization. And the reality often is reflected more in the conversation of the people who are closest to the action, not the people who are, you know, at the top. Yeah, and we see that all the time, right? You've got that CIO that says, oh, yeah, we're extremely innovative. We reward this creativity, and then, then we talk with the staff, and the staff is, is feeling that they're being ruled by fear, and they're afraid to take a step of creativity because if they make a mistake, they're going to they're gonna get fired, right? And so we've got to learn how to bridge that gap, that, you know, how do you feel that you're so innovative, but they, they won't take one step in the creative motion because they, they fear for their jobs. So, so what is the culture and how is it being valued? Exactly. I think it's a really, you know, the, the, the individual personalities, and I always say an individual wants to play to its strong suit or should play to its strong suit, and a team needs to play with a full deck. Uh, I actually think that the most powerful aspect of personality poker is getting people to see the conversations, the unspoken conversations in terms of what is valued, that culture, raising that to the surface. That's just a very, very powerful way of understanding what's going on underneath the, the surface of the company. And so do you suggest then it's, it's done also at the group level, right? Because a, a lot of times when I'm seeing this, again, I, I apologize for always bringing my personal things that I see, but I get a lot of access to, you know, executives and things like that. But, you know, doing it as a group of CIO, CFO, CEO together versus the CIO, CEO, CFO is a one-off. Yeah, I mean, I, again, it, it, it's all about conversations. So to me, none of these are reality. I mean, if you look at the statistical validity of most of the tests, most of them are actually somewhat questionable if you really look at the information behind them. But there's a big difference. This was, this was a fascinating, I didn't plan on talking about this, but this is fascinating. Uh, when I was publishing the Personality Poker book, uh, I hired somebody to do a statistical validation of it. 
And he said, you know, there's a big difference between being statistically valid and being useful. And to me, that's a really important point. That's a great quote. I really like that. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) It makes a lot of sense in a lot of different ways. And I think I'm going to take a pause right there for our final break. And when we come back, uh, you know, the the question is, is, you know, given all of this, what are we going to suggest that you do in organizations? And I also ask all of my guests, you know, how do you want to be remembered on the show? So I'll give you a little forethought in that and a chance to, to compose your answer so that we don't hit you that uh, blind. But uh, while we're on the break, again, personalitypoker.com is a great website to go find out all about Stephen and how you can engage him in your business. And we'll be right back uh, with the final segment of the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other, where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage, where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward, and the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy, and the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. All right, we're back with our final segment of the Work-Life Balance. We've been talking to Stephen Shapiro this whole time about personality poker and just in general. And uh, really, you know, my entire life has, has been about data. And I, in fact, I quoted in my book, if I have more data than you, I win. 
in in really that last thing you just said, it still got me swirling a little bit. So I think I want to dive back into that, Stephen. Uh, you, you just said it doesn't have to be statistically valid to to be useful, and that's that's a lot more profound than it sounds. So can we dive into that a little bit more? What you just said. Sure, Rick. I mean, for me, this was actually not just a game changer in terms of the way I thought about personality poker. It was, it was actually a life changer. Uh, I think about that all the time. And, and there's this guy, Michael Weirman, who's a, a, a psychology professor, uh, but he's also an expert in uh, these types of psychometric tests. He was telling me a story. He said they were, you know, they were working on trying to develop a test to be able to determine whether someone was depressed. They spent a lot of money, just millions of research dollars, trying to create this statistically valid test. And in the end, they came up with this test that was statistically valid, yet what they found was the most useful way to determine if someone was depressed was to ask them, are you depressed? And so what's statistically valid isn't necessarily useful. And so it's the application that matters. And so what we want to look at is, are we getting the results we want to get? And if we're getting the results and we can't statistically validate it, doesn't mean it's not a useful tool. And this has sort of been a game changer for me in terms of how I just look at everything. Uh, and it was sort of a mantra as we move forward in future versions of personality poker, there were times where we did things which may not, we might not have been able to prove it statistically, but we were able to demonstrate that doing it a particular way had a significant impact in terms of the results. So I guess you could argue that's a, a validation, but it's not the validation where we tend to think of statistical validation for these types of tests. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, yeah. I have to sit. I, I've got a long drive, so I'm going to have to sit on that comment for a while and, and think about some of the things that I do just in general, from everything from status reporting on. So I, I think that that's a valid thought, but I, I absolutely like what what uh, what was said and, and what impact that actually has. So what do you suggest, you know, you've alluded to some of this, but just kind of wrapping up, you know, what do you suggest organizations do uh, when it comes to innovation, when it comes to looking at the different types of people they have in, in, in their innovation cycles? Well, you put aside personality poker. I think the key thing is, is to recognize that everybody contributes to innovation, just contribute to innovation in a different way. Don't collapse creativity and innovation. Creativity is just about ideas and solutions. But, in fact, innovation doesn't start with an idea. The best innovations start with a well-framed problem, challenge, or opportunity that we then find ways of solving it. And so if we have the right people in the right role, then we will always get better innovation. So there are four, four basic attributes that I say using poker terms. First thing is each individual should play to their strong suit. So we want to have the right person in the right role. Second thing is you want to make sure your teams are playing with a full deck, have a good complement of all the different styles. You want to deal out the work, which means that you don't want everybody doing everything, but you want to make sure that you divide and conquer in a way that's most effective based on their styles. And then sometimes you do want to shuffle the deck, which is have people who are different together in a way that creates this creative tension that, in fact, can result in some better breakthroughs. So when you're hiring, when you're recruiting, Make sure that you are uh, thinking from a number of different perspectives, not just your culture, like what fits your culture, but what do we truly need to innovate? And when it comes to uh, praising people, don't listen to the golden rule. You know, do unto others as you want them to do unto you is not good advice. You actually want to do unto others the way they want to have done unto them. 
So if I'm a diamond, praise me for my creativity. Don't praise me for getting things done because I don't really care that I get things done, but I want to know that you value that I think differently. And I think all those together and some other attributes is a, probably a pretty good summarization of everything. I think that was a fantastic summarization. So, and also summary, how do you want people to remember Stephen? He, being a diamond, I, I'd like people to remember me as somebody who uh, brings different perspectives to the table. That's actually, I want people to have fun. I want people to think differently, to add a little pizzazz to their life. And that's why everything that I do, whether it's my innovation speeches, personality poker, or a number of my other products that I've created, they're all designed basically with that in mind. It's how do we just you know, enhance people's experience of life, give them some new thoughts, and help them think differently. Well, you certainly have done that for us today, and I, and I can't thank you enough for uh, spending this hour with us, and, and you know you've had a, a, a great time when that hour has flown by. I mean, I, I feel like we just got started, uh, and it's already at the end of the show, uh, and easy to see, and something that we didn't mention, but easy to see why in 2015 you were inducted into the Speaker Hall of Fame, so certainly congratulations on that, uh, and something I aspire to do one day as well. So congratulations Thanks. on that. And do you have any uh, upcoming public speeches or appearance or anything like that that, that maybe some of our listeners may be able to attend? Um, the, the only thing I'm actually next week, I'm heading off to Phoenix, Arizona. I am the co-chair for the National Speakers Association Convention, where we get 1,500 professional speakers together. It is like a, a four-day blowout event. Uh, and I'm basically pulling this all together. So I'll be on stage, not talking about innovation, but talking about the world of speaking. Uh, that's the best place to catch up with me because it's just going to be so much fun if people want to uh, learn more about that. Absolutely. And then one final thing, uh, websites and how to get in touch with you. Uh, easiest place to find me is just steveshapiro.com. Uh, you'll Find everything you want to find out about me, all of my books, and everything else. Personality Poker is just one of five books. Uh, or personalitypoker.com is the place to go to learn more specifically about personality poker. Again, Stephen, we, can I, we certainly can I have one more thing. Yeah. What, just one quick thing. If you go to personalitypokergame.com, personalitypokergame.com, we have a free assessment that you can take that simulates the poker cards in a Las Vegas uh, slot machine format. It's a lot of fun. It takes 30 seconds, and we found it to be ridiculously accurate in a very short amount of time. Yeah, I actually did that uh, while you were doing your speech uh, when we were there in New York together. So, uh, and then uh, you get some nice regular updates uh, from you as well uh, from the website. What, what what's happening in the world of Steve Shapiro? So, I appreciate those updates as well. And again, we we can't thank you enough for for being on the show. Uh, next week, we've got uh, Frank Saladis is going to be on the show. He's the founder of the International Project Management Day. He was also there in New York with us, Stephen, if you remember. He's a great guy. Uh, he was our MC for that whole event. Uh, and right. somebody who was actually with me when I did my very first professional speech in the project management world. Uh, so we'll be telling that story as well. Uh, but Frank's just an all-around great guy. He's going to uh, be checking in with us, letting us know what's going on in his world, talking about project management. Uh, so please join us next week on the Work-Life Balance for that. Uh, and with always, we kick you off into your weekend uh, here at the Work-Life Balance. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.